the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now, back to Lifeline. And we're back to Time 609 on the Monday edition of Lifeline. Let me go to line one and talk with Deborah in Oakland. Deborah, are you there? Hello. Hello, Pastor. Hi, how are you? Well, I'm one of those that at Christmas and holidays has a hard time. Mm-hmm. Because I believe the best advertisement for Christ is the individual person. Mm-hmm. And their individual walk with God. Right, I agree with that. Um, but what makes it hard for you? Well, because I'm not, I don't have a close family mm-hmm. um, in my city or, to, or you know, and a lot of people are getting together and and uh, uh, doing things, you know, on holidays. It's really hard for me. How do, how do you how do you manage as a rule? Has some of the years been better? Uh, have they been better or worse some years? You know, some years you will have people that will come by and, uh, you know, spend a little time or maybe give a gift to you or um, just just say hello, give a card or something like that. Do you have those occasions? Yes, okay. I used to. Okay. Do you expect that this year? I have no idea. Oh, you don't? No, because no one said anything to me yet. Okay, well, actually, you know, we're not quite there. We're not quite there. But how do you handle uh, Thanksgiving? You just kind of make your way through it? Yeah. I just treat it like any other day. Okay, that's good. That's not a bad That's not a bad thing. It's not, it's not absolutely necessary, but, you know, that would, be, that would be cool, too. So I'll tell you what you do. Let's see. We aren't there yet. We'll be moving after the elections. You can give me a buzz back, and we can see if we can uh, get some of our brothers and sisters to be altruistic enough to make sure we set a date for. Uh, well, I would like to meet your precious wife, Barbara. And I and I I will I will try to make that happen. I definitely yeah, will. And Jesse, can can uh, some of your a wonderful singers sing for me? Ooh, that, <laughs> that might be a possibility. Although the, the these wonderful young people that you've been hearing every year, yeah. So my daughter finally graduated. Okay, so I'm I'm the last one. Trinity's graduated. So that that business, unless those kids. Um, you know, they grow up, Deb. That's the problem. They grow up. Me and Barbara well, what, almost... What in about it. forming a new group? Huh? What about forming a new group? Well, that that the young people would have to do that. Uh, I don't know if you know, but I'm old. Oh, no, you're not. <laughs> I am old. I'm. I'm old. I've been called. They've been calling me OG Deb for the last twenty-two years. Uh, first time I was called OG, playing ball, Jarrell, uh out in the park with young people. I was. I think I was thirty-six, and and a young. You know, they're picking teams, right? And a young yeah. brother must have been about eighteen years old, maybe twenty. He said, "Hey, OG, you want to play with us?" <laughs> Well, I you felt call me OG because I'm 66. <laughs> well, I don't think they can call you OG. I don't know what they would call women. The ladies will have to call me. What do they call you when you're older? Probably ma'am. 
<laughs> but they call they call me OG. So you know what we'll have to do? We'll see if we can make something happen. We'll 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 keep that conversation going between now and Christmas, and maybe the young people that are listening. We'll put together something so we can uh, have have them sing for you. That would be that would be special. Okay, thank you. Okay, we'll do that. Okay. All right, I'll talk to you a little later. Okay. All right, let me go to line two and talk with Mario in Antioch. Mario, are you there? Hello, Mario. Hey, how you doing, Jesse? Hey, what's going uh, on, man? My my brother Mish told me to call you. Okay, for what? Uh, he's just for a town council. Okay, what's going and, on? Uh, so, uh, I just uh, was uh, recently divorced. I'm still in love with uh, my ex-wife. Mm-hmm. She uh, she has uh, another man in the, her life. Okay. And uh, I know this man. Um, I've already have like you know uh, thoughts about him, uh, and. I'm seeing him more, mm-hmm. and um, like I'm just trying to live righteously. Um, she um, it was brought up to my attention yesterday because we seen each other, we stared each other down. Um, I got notification that you know she don't want things to get ugly. Um, and she was saying that he's willing to talk with me. Um, I just don't. My my first thing is because I still have some emotions. Yeah. Um, you know, I am uh, in my past life. Um, I mean, not my past life, but in the past, I've been uh, aggressive. Um, you know. Um, I'm, I'm, on the streets and um and uh i just you know don't know what to to do about the situation um my first thing is to seek prayer mm-hmm. and to give it time mm-hmm. you know i feel feel like i'm not living as a good christian if like i don't love my enemies and um yeah i just want your take on that sure i'll i'll, I'll tell you exactly what you need to do First of all, your intuition is absolutely correct. You don't want to get into a situation where you don't have your emotions in check in a way that they can serve you well uh, in something as precarious as coming across or meeting or talking to uh, the boyfriend of someone you loved and still do love. You you want to make sure that your emotions have been settled and uh, harnessed. Uh, in a way that they can be productive in how you move forward. Emotions are energies. Um, They can dissipate in the wrong way and and bring about much more negativity than we can even imagine. So the intuition to want to wait until you can manage yourself is absolutely correct. Uh, Secondly, what you're going to have to do while you're waiting is, is get a handle on reality, Mario. And reality is the thing that we have so much difficulty with. And that reality is this, that at present, your wife has no interest in being married to you. And we need to go ahead on and grieve through that, suffer through that pain, grow. So we're going to grieve and we're going to grow because you were not meant to be trapped by the past when something as painful as that is 
um, has an exit opportunity uh, with it. You've had girlfriends before. You've had women that, you know, you've cared about before. And, you know, it may not have been like this one because, man, you know, love is just a powerful thing. I get it. I totally do. Uh, the Bible is clear uh, that love is crueler than the grave. Jealousy is crueler than the grave. And it can do some horrible things of which you don't want to do. Um, so you, you have to manage the priority of, of reality. And that is, it may not be for you to be with this woman. If God does not mean for you to be with her, you want God's will because you will heal. So you grieve, you grow, and then you forgive, you grieve, you grow, and then you forgive. That is, you let it go. You release it. So it can release you because you sound young. And that means that uh, prospects for the future are always there for you. And if you are a believer, Mario, here is what you know. It is your prerogative and privilege. And probably it is your responsibility to let go of things in order to press toward the mark of the high calling of God in Christ. We have to learn how to forgive in order to be released, in order to be ready to move into what the future holds for us. And if we actually believe God that all things work together for good to them that love God, then you can, you can hope for in a faith that grieves in a faith that grows in a faith that forgives that there's something down the line that's going to be much more appropriate and beneficial for you if you believe God for that. So you want to take on the principle of the proverb. And the proverb says, better is the patient in spirit than the proud in spirit. No believer wants to be driven by anger that would lead to folly that would be um, disrespectful of the glory and character of God uh, for whom you have been yoked so your intu- intuition is right, Mario. Hold on. Be patient. Don't see this dude until you have gathered your faculties emotionally, until you have an appropriate um, plan of dialogue and conversation with him, where you can talk to him and get to know him objectively and realize that he really is not the point of conflict or attack. Unless, of course... He, he precipitated your divorce. And if he precipitated your divorce, then he ought to not want to see you until he's sure that the avenger of blood in you has, uh, has returned to its proper place because you have negotiated this with your sovereign Lord. There's no way a man should be free to roam this earth, taking another man's wife and not feel the heat of the Proverbs uh, or the heat of the law. That, uh, so, yeah, so, like, I, you know, I don't feel like he's responsible, um, but he did um, approach her while we're still married, and um, so, like, I haven't came to that point where I've um, accepted that, you know, it's still harnessing. Okay. And, all right, no, I got that. I so here's a couple things, and then I got to let you go because this is, we can chat a little bit, but this is definitely not council time. Um, yeah. You want to be very clear on all the facts that led up to this sad occasion where you're not with your wife anymore. You want to know all the parties within the yellow tape, within the uh, crime crime scene. You want to know all that. 
Because in order to express a proper judgment as to what happened at the scene of the crime, the yellow tape has to be placed and all parties in view have to be in their proper mode of historic application so that we don't distort the crime scene and add insult to injury. And so you still got some work to do. And uh, your, 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 your boy, Mish, um, he's a good brother to holler at, man. And maybe you can email me or something in the future. We can chat a little bit more. But stay with your intuition. Stay stay with your intuition. Don't don't move. Remain being a man of peace. It will always go better when we're men of peace. Bless you, man. I got to take a break. All the lines are open. All the lines are open. 1-888-367-5329. 1-888-367-5329. That was a good call. You guys know how that go. My brother brothers know how that go. Um, hard, man. Hard. That's a hard one. It's a hard one when, when you love people and, and you come to discover things like this occur in our life. But God is able to make all grace abound. I guarantee you that he's able to take that pothole and fill it and keep us down the road to glory. If we trust him, we're going to grieve. We're going to grow. We're going to forgive. And we're going to apply ourselves to looking forward. All the lines are open. one 367 one I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. And we're back at the time 626 on the Monday edition of Lifeline. All the lines are open. 1-888-367-5329. Um, looking forward to hearing from you as you uh, may take an opportunity to overcome this void of the phone lines opening. While you are calling, let me uh, share with you some some information. One is... This Saturday, we are going to be having at Grace Bible Church a money management class. This Saturday, we will be having our second, it's generally supposed to be annual, but it's not quite annual, a money management class where we we actually help people to work through their income problems. Some of our professional money managers will be um, engaging in uh, talking about where we are in our um in our tax forms, in our tax laws, and where we are in terms of um, our economic state in America and how one can learn how to invest money uh, for the purpose of growing your money so that you can work your way out of uh, some of this horrible debt cycle that uh, defines young people particularly. But anyone, if you don't have a strategy for actually dealing with your income and you know you should uh, be talking to someone, but you're afraid that you're going to have to pay for it, then you really do want to be at Grace Bible Church this Saturday from 3 p.m. till about 5 or 6. We have a lengthy but also very informative uh, a speaker, as well as uh, people who have been in the business for a long time that love to share with you uh, their uh, their understanding, their wisdom, uh, their um, their resources so that you might figure out how to overcome uh, poverty and um uh, income deficits that are a consequence, again, of uh, the strategic um if you will, a uh, system in our government that that does not easily allow a man or a woman to prosper without a whole lot of trial and error. So this Saturday uh, at Grace Bible Church will be what we call a money management class, how to grow your money from 3 to 5 p.m. You really want to be there. If you've been procrastinating, stop it. 
It doesn't cost you anything. It won't cost you a dime. Just come. We, we, we never charge people for anything. It's just God's been good to us that way. But we do believe in the quality of our resources, and we can help you. And if you've been there before and you're not doing anything, come on out. There will be some new data, some new information around that subject coming out this year. So definitely we would love for you to be able to benefit from the information that's given to us. Then again, remember, <clears throat> November 17th, the week following, no. Two weeks following, uh, we will have our Daughters of Grace uh, class. It's going to be great. Empty the trash, please. Empty the trash, please. You can go to grace-bible.com or Daughters of Grace uh, Facebook, and they'll have data there on that matter. Great conference there coming up on how to deal with um, confessing to the point of healing, confession for the purpose of healing, how to actually uh, talk with God and Uh, communicate with your sisters in overcoming uh, traps and and snares and pits and and hurdles and problems and actually being able to convey through a a group dynamic um, our needs and aspirations and and desires so that we can actually grow. Uh, The purpose of forgiveness, which is the grounds of confession, is in order that you might be healed. That's what James 5.16 says. And we really want to move into a model of practice among our sisterhood and our brothers, if you will, where we take advantage of the throne of grace in order that we might be healed. It's going to be a very liberating, very insightful, very expository class on November 17th at Grace Bible Church. You ladies who have been part of the Daughters of Grace, you know how um, fruitful, productive, and edifying that particular event is. Put that on your calendar, November 17th. It's going to be a great day. This Saturday, um, again, a money management class at GBC. We'll be having snacks and, and things like that to wet your whistle and keep you from being distracted by hunger. But we're going to get into it, delve into it deeply to help people who haven't learned how to manage their money well do exactly that. Learn how to manage your money well. A lot of things going on. A lot of things going on. But let me go to line number one and talk with Nelson in uh, Redwood City. Nelson, you still in in the Bay Area? I'm still in the Bay Area. Okay, I doing? thought you were gone, man. I thought you had pulled out on us. No. Um, yeah, it's so funny because as you know, I just finished taking a shower. I'm 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 still in the bathroom and I'm arguing with a guy about politics because you know I don't think you mentioned it, but you know, because I, I haven't heard every single minute of the program today, but 11 Jewish people were murdered yesterday. Yeah, but what does that have to do with politics? And, and, and um, I mean, hold on, hold on. Um, but so I, um, no, no, some people are saying the rhetoric that's coming from from certain people, not just, not just um, Trump, certain people, for instance, on, on um, Lou Dobbs' show, he has a guest on recently, mm-hmm. and he and the guest said, you know, the problem is coming from the George Soros State Department. I mean, how can else can I interpret that as being anti-Semitic? I mean, that, that's, that's, that's pretty loaded. And um, the stuff that Laura Ingram and Tucker Carlson said, you know, as I told you before, I voted Republican for four decades, the 80s, 90s, first decade of the 21st century and now this but, mm-hmm. but this the, the republican party i was on c-span um 
a week or two ago. I was on C-SPAN. I was a caller at 4 something in the morning. They only wanted black callers. And I called and said, why well, I wasn't Republican anymore? And I said, I started off with Martin Luther King said, somebody has to have a cool head, so I'm just going to be analytical. I'm not going to get emotional like everybody else was. So I, I did say, I gave my, I, I just said, a lot of the Republican Party, to me, has morphed into the alt-right. And, and th- these statements by Laura Ingram, Lou Dobbs, and Tucker Carlson, I mean, he uses the word white genocide. The, the guy I told you I just got into it on Facebook, he thinks I'm being irrational, but how else can you interpret that? Come on, white genocide? Because there's too many immigrants. That, those are loaded statements where a crazy person might take, and that's what that guy did. He, he believed in his white genocide. Then, you know, the whole George Soros thing. I went to, I went to a, a, a Bible church here in Redwood City, and the pastor, he's a, he's a good guy. He's a good guy. He goes to the master seminary, the, the conference, every. But the, the 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 white guy who spoke that Saturday morning prayer breakfast, he had just came back from China. He said, um, not during the discussion, but it was right after Charlottesville, and I was discussing with him. He said, George Soros busting the Nazis and Antifa and Black Lives Matter made him fight. That came from Alex Jones and that U.S. representative who his brothers and sisters would say not to vote for, Paul Gosar. He repeated that. And now I'm telling you, evangelicals are part of the problem sometimes. They do repeat these things. They do say these things in church. And I told you how my sister left Charles Stanley's church because they were saying Obama was a Muslim and, um, and all these crazy stuff about Hillary and Charles Stanley did that message about, um, you know, turning the tide. He said, in 18 months, we're going to be just like Greece. I mean, because when Obama and Bush, but Obama was president then, 2010, Obama was, you know, extending unemployment benefits. So we're going to be just like Greece in 18 months. But he didn't talk about all the bailouts to corporate America. But I think the bottom line is both sides progressive or liberal, conservative, whatever you want to say, they're both proud and they can't admit that they're wrong about some things. And evangelicals have to admit, I can't even go to an evangelical church now. Somebody's going to say something that I'm going to stand up and say, no, this is wrong, because they're going to defend the Confederate um, statues. One white guy who went to a, a, a guy who graduated from a master seminary's church is an Asian guy who was the pastor, but the white guy I talked to at the church, he, um, he told me, yeah, I would have felt uncomfortable if I was a black person the last church I went to around here. And I guarantee you he was um, defending the Confederate statues. But, but evangelicals don't want to hear this. They want to say, oh, black people vote Democrat for, because they just want plantation. I went over somebody's house, a Calvary Chapel's pastor. His wife was... I was pointing out to her that Asians voted almost 80% for um, Hillary and 76% for Obama, that Asians voted overwhelmingly um, Republican after the Vietnam War. But this lady, the article I read from the um, Asian Defense League, she's in Virginia, which is a swing state, sort of. Sure. And, but she said the Republicans become so extreme. And, and I brought up on C-SPAN, George Wilk quit the Republican Party, and I see why he did, and other people have. But people don't want to admit that type of white nationalism is in the Republican Party, and it is in evangelical. It's almost like So you know what 1920s. I want you to do? 
You know what I want you to do? I want you to just take Shut like up, a right. big old guff <laughs> of air. I'm going to take a break. And when I come back, first, I'm, I'm going to affirm that you have affirmed what I've been teaching for years on this program. You you know that. You know that I don't take a party line. You know that I don't take a Republican or, or Democratic or liberal or, or conservative party line. I don't operate out of that dialectic. I jump on both of them. When they're bad, I jump on both of them. And, and really, you're affirming that now. But I do want to affirm you on the sad state of affairs in the church where they are wearing more of a political yoke than a gospel yoke. I want to talk about that because that gets a little bit more personal. And it's a sad reality that I have experienced all my Christian life in the area of politics and race. Hold on. one 367 one I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. We are three lines open if you want to join the conversation with myself and my caller, Nelson from Redwood City, one 367 I opened up, Nelson, uh, actually dealing with a basic monologue around civility in our conversation when it comes to politics. And I uh, read from an article by one Micah Watson uh, 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 in terms of C.S. Lewis's view, who was fundamentally Aristotelian and, and, and Aristotle definitely believed that politics was salvation. And, and Lewis was saying that even in his day, he saw the rancor and the animosity and the, the lack of civility around political issues. And he, 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 he saw that it would lead to where you and I are today, that we don't really have the kind of objectivity that we need to when it comes to these political issues. Everything that you had stated about your experience, um, uh, let's see, a particular party group would affirm uh, the, 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 let's say your typical uh, liberal, liberal Democrat, dem- Democratic African-American would affirm that when they are in the presence of those who would call themselves conservative um, or our Republican, and that would have largely a um, <clears throat> a white uh, majority demographic, as you and I would know, <clears throat> professing Christians, they immediately kind of take on a perspective that largely is, as you stated, a distorted worldview, uh, a, a, a sort of politically driven narrative that's really based upon the the concern that you're having that there is a direct connection between uh, how people go out as extremists and respond uh, with 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 you know wanting to take people out and the rhetoric that may come from uh, a particular party. Now you did begin to wind it down by recognizing that both parties do it because I'm on the outside of both parties now for some 10 years now, easily. I was also Republican as were you um, until uh, the end of the uh, second Bush era. When I realized that George W George George W Bush um, was way too deep in the mire of, let's say, you know, uh, prevarications on the facts. And um, and and it was so clearly uh, understood that there was just a larger global agenda in destroying Iraq and other things that it, it basically, you know, he, it was indefensible. So for me, it was time to let go of the Republican Party uh, and, and then. I could easily see the the lack of a moral framework in in the Democratic Party, 
for me, as a Christian, that's a problem. And you and I have talked about that before. Um, I have a real problem with a Democratic Christian who does not know how to def- uh, defend the the platform from a biblical perspective. I do recognize that we live uh, in a world where people do operate out of major uh, cognitive dissonance, uh, just, you know, paradoxical conflicts operating within the same skull, uh, if you will. Um, I was talking with a brother from the NAACP just Sunday. Nelson and he's he's one of the guys that are uh, it's kind of a big wig in the in the chapter here in California, and he was saying to me coming to church and you know he, he visits from time to time, but he was saying to me how um, the impact of a lot of what you and I are talking about and what has been really the experience of a lot of professing Christians. Um, and that's only because we're dealing with a Christian radio context. If we were dealing with a secular radio context, it would be true that African-Americans, by and large, are not getting out and becoming part of the voting process, at least here in California. They're just not. And and one of the and this is happening frequently across the nation. And one of the reasons why that would be the case, I think, Nelson, and you can respond after this, is that <clears throat> once the rhetoric of the news media on both sides. I completely agree with you. I I don't pay Fox News and those other outlets that are adjacent to them any real attention whatsoever. I I can read their narrative. I can understand the implications. I can hear the dog whistle. I can even see the as you are stating, the uh, almost justifiable uh, assertions that can lead to a borderline uh, discriminatorial attitude or racist attitude um, that a black person might quickly perceive or a person of color might quickly perceive as you were using terms like white privilege. Uh, there is also right, white fragility um, and, and other terms, too, that are being descriptive of the way, you know, the Anglo-Saxon is um Responding, if you will, to what they think is a uh, the dangerous uh, extinction of uh, the white male race. You know, this will be coming from Michael Savage. It will be coming uh, from uh, Alex Jones and a few other people. Sadly to say, this is the fruit of politics. Politics does this, and 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 for me, it's even more egregious when we go come to church. Um, as professing Christians and and in and, 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 and kind of the private quarters of discourse, as you are stating, has occurred, that it ends up being that you hear a brother make the kind of statement that you might hear them say about, you know, um, uh, you know, what's going on in the country from a from a, a liberal perspective or a conservative perspective, as you stated. And you go, you know what? That's a problem. That kind of thinking is a problem. And and, and it's a problem that rises even to the level of division in churches. I've seen it. I've seen it, experienced it for years. And this is why I was stating at the beginning of my monologue, it is absolutely critical that the professing Christian rises up out of politics, up out of it. And that's hard for you to do. Because you've been there for a long time. You know, you used to call this program years ago and get at me uh, because of your assumption that I was just a kind of uh, water-toting conservative. Uh, and it took a long time for you and I to turn the corner on on that on that perception. You know that. Um, but I agree with so much of what you're saying. Uh, we got to talk about solutions. Mm-hmm. 
And these things are charged. Even Charles Spurgeon made after John Brown got lynched for, you know, the Harper Ferry thing, um, Charles Spurgeon said, so be it, at, you know, what John Brown was trying to do. He said, if every white person, you know, he said, every white man, every white woman, every white child were, were, were to be killed in the southern part of the United States, that slavery in a thousand unions be dissolved, that slavery ends in the southern part of the United States. So be it. So even like someone, you know, you know, um, humble like Spurgeon, you know, when it comes to these, you know, things like putting kids in cages or or, or the president um, saying there are good people on both sides of the Nazi rally, um, people naturally do have, um, you know, a, a very um, de- demonstrative, angry thing, just like Spurgeon did about slavery. And, and he supported John Brown, and even to the go to that extent and say, so be it if every white person in the South is killed by John Brown and other people as slavery ends. I mean, that's hyperbole he's saying, but that, that takes a lot of people off. No, but he, he and, and, and that's because he's exactly what I'm stating that I've been preaching for years that does not, it does not penetrate the armor of a political Christian. And that's this. There are a number of topics on a social level that Charles Spurgeon went at. Um, slavery being one of them. I, I know a number of articles that I could also mention that would agree with what you're saying, for which Charles Spurgeon remains one of my patron saints, because the grace of God in Christ was such a reality in his soul that he was willing to stand publicly and give um, observations that he knew would go completely against the tide and trend of what was happening in in, in, in Britain at that time, uh, in England at that time, as well as in the Americas. You got it. He stated it. But you would not hear that today in America. Uh, your 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 Formed Baptists would not go public with that kind of level of overt opposition to the trends. Your sovereign grace Baptists wouldn't either. Unfortunately, my experience with them, along with other uh, reform camps and evangelical camps to boot, where, uh, you know, there is wealth and there is power and where there is influence, wealth, power and influence will completely emasculate you of the gospel. Because the gospel never, the gospel, Nelson, never compromises the centrality of the person and work of Christ and the reality of grace in the soul that levels everyone to the ground and makes us all radically hellbound sinners in need of mercy and grace in Christ and destroys this soul sort of assumption that the world is better if white people ruled it or the world is better if black people ruled it. Those assumptions are flawed. They are alien to the gospel and they Amen. have been, they have been problems for both sides. They have been problems for both sides. And I, you know, I have uh, experienced the alienation on both sides of the camp simply because I sit in the middle, in the middle and I make it plain. Uh, if it's not Christ all the way, it's not Christ at all at the end of the day. And then when the horns pop up on a political conversation and I discover that, you know, uh, I'm maybe just a utilitarian friend, as my article said, I'm not surprised anymore. I really am not surprised anymore. There's going to have to be a real wake up call to repentance on the part of the church before it can actually be a real tool in the changing of American politics, because the church is dead spiritually in terms of any kind of real, radical, Christ-centered philosophy or uh, or theology that can inherently transform this dialectical process that we see uh, running off the cliff. 
Amen. The Gospel Coalition, you know, they get um, attacked because they had the Martin Luther King 50th anniversary. And I, I listened to a lot of um, Moore's speech. I fell asleep. I, I went to bed listening to it. I, fell I didn't see anything wrong with that, but the people – the people who want to ride the horse of white supremacy, they don't like it. They, they are so mad that he said some bad things about Trump that the, the biggest churches in, in uh, Southern Baptist, they, they um, threatened not to give any money to the Southern Baptist. I agree. Now, I agree. Now, now, more is another conversation I'd love to have down the line because you and I are now talking kind of in a, in, a, in a tin can because a larger audience doesn't know about it. And I've got to take other calls. But the, the SBC is in trouble in a lot of ways in terms of the gospel. Here's what also happens. What will happen is we will get mired in a kind of political culture that has uh, one or two dominant narratives, whether it's racism or whether it's gender issues in this context is racism. So more is actually opening the door for much more of a fresh air conversation around social justice. You know that. But every time social justice issues come up, the danger is true that when you pursue social justice, Apart from a radical gospel presupposition, framework, stratum, and an ethic, you're going to lose the gospel in the name of that particular social issue. We saw this in the 50s and the 60s with, 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 with black folks and, and, and the civil rights movement. The gospel got lost. Our black churches, by and large, lost the gospel. They would say they didn't, but the gospel got lost. Uh, it's going to happen again in this era with a lot of the social justice paradigms, arguments, and debates. It's already happening at larger, more apologetic levels. I could talk about that later, but we're already seeing the trends of the gospel being lost there. I am concerned that we don't have a mature framework in the Christian body to be able to take uh, real issues like you're talking about, real issues of dealing with injustices and um, distortions of history and um, uh, maladies on the part of people and having a conversation about it from a uh, healthy biblical worldview with solid answers that do not compromise the gospel. I don't think we're ready because even the church is too polarized to be able to talk about these issues without it collapsing into a fear on one side or a fear on the other side. And I know you agree with me on that. Listen, I got to let you go. I'm glad you call and uh, call again. Let me go to line two and talk with Yvette in Hayward. Yvette on line number two. Yvette, are you there? I'm here. How are you? What's your question, comment, or observation? We only have about three Uh, minutes. I'm good. Hope you are, too. I am. My thing is that, you know, a while back when uh, um, Obama was being elected, I kind of, not really into uh, politics and stuff, but I had a friend that was, and I gave a donation a couple of times. Yeah. To this day, those people have not left me alone. They lie. They uh, tell you one day is good, the next day is good. You gave back in this time. Why are you not giving now? I'm so sick of them people. I don't. I don't know what to do. Yeah, I love the question. I love the observation. So, uh, like I stated to my friend Nelson a moment ago. Um, I, I, you know, we need a little bit more time and then we're going to probably pour into it because my people that listen to me for years know that I don't stray away from these particular issues. Uh, politics, politics, Yvette, doesn't save anybody. The problem is um, it's a uh, it's a necessary evil um, and, and, and people pull you in uh, by tools and practices 
that are less than uh, cordial, respectful, um, and 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 honest. You're you're just being. You're a number. You are a number, and they want your money, and that's it. And that's this is one of the reasons why young black folks, like I said, my friend who comes to church uh, where I pastor frequently. Uh, he's part of the NAACP chapter here in, in, in California. And he was bemoaning the fact that uh, black people are not getting out to vote. He was really talking about younger black people. And I get that because younger black people can see through the rhetoric of uh, a lot of the uh, talking points that take place even among African-Americans. Be- there's so much going on wrong at the at, at the at the foundational structural and um, uh, implementation level uh, that they are not having the, uh, the the impact that they need on millennials, some Gen Xs, but certainly millennials, Yvette. And, and when you describe what you are experiencing with them, that's why. They just want your money and your vote. That's all. That's it. And, and life hasn't gotten any better. Uh, money's not any higher. But this is where I came to. I mean, money's not any uh, getting any better and bills are going higher. But this is where I came to when I think about this. Uh, is that I'm waiting on I'm waiting on the Lord. Right. This is a bunch of nothing. Yep. Now when you, you know, say when you say that now when you say that, you know you're gonna tick off a lot of people. You know that, right? I don't care. Okay, well go ahead on with your bad self, girl. <laughs> go ahead on I'm with really your <laughs> because it's ridiculous. It's just left it's like being pulled left, right, left, right, left, right, lie after lie. For a dollar, I, I'm, I'm thinking they're talking about a dollar. Uh, we're going to triple match it, and I'm thinking the calls, the the letter, the the, the stuff that you guys have sent me, you have spent way more than a dollar trying to get my dollar. Yeah, and 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 see, your eyes are opening. You are becoming an awakened believer. Um, mm-hmm. And, and uh, I don't know where you get your teaching from, but your teaching is helping you open your eyes to the reality of what I've been teaching for years is the dialectical process. Politics is the greatest method of deception in the world. And when people are not really rooted and grounded in truth and have a solid biblical worldview where that they can handle politics um, with, 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 with careful gloves so as not to be trapped by the stronghold of, hold of politics, as many people are, um, you will indeed um, be disillusioned. So I'm going to tell you, um, hold your uh, vote card, uh, wait for um, the appropriate policies to vote for, um, but only do it if, uh, if, if the Spirit of God compels you to. Don't be trapped by any yoke other than the yoke of Christ. Bless you, my sister. Got to go. They go that uh, music that tells us we're all out of here. Um, Lord willing, we'll see you next time. Till then, God bless you. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved.
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.